and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Regina Gwen. She's the co-founder and CEO of Trustnar Beauty, a company that is at the intersection of beauty and technology for women with textured hair, particularly Black women. Welcome, Regina. Thank you so much, Corinne, for having me. So let's get started. Can you give us your 30-second bio? Sure. I am the co-founder and CEO of Trust Noir, as you mentioned. I'm an entrepreneur, a beauty consultant. I essentially am working on all things beauty and technology, as you mentioned, and love to give women the most important resource on earth, which is time. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? I think beauty was a destination for me because now that I've been working in beauty for the past six years, I recognize how much power women have in owning who they are and what they, how they appear to the public and to society and to themselves. And so it's extremely exciting to be able to help influence and help support women see themselves the way that they want to. Um, and owning that sense of self is something that uh, can change with a lipstick or a hairstyle or a bit of mascara. But you've had a few jobs. Uh, you had a circuitous path, I would say, to get <laughs> to this destination. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about first jobs. And one of the things we talked about before this interview was that you had first job before you had an MBA, so post-college, yes. and your yes. first job post-MBA. Yes. Give us a little taste of what they were and yes how they impacted your path. Sure. Um, Started off my career in fashion retail at Macy's Merchandising Group. So the arm that focuses on product development for their private label brands. So I got to launch Inc. International Concepts for Men back in 2003. American Rag, which is a junior's young men's brand, uh, launched that in 2005. So started to get kind of like this entrepreneur experience of launching brands with someone else's money. And that's something that I actually kind of strongly advocate. I know there's lots of young people that want to like start right out of high school or like, you know, start right out of college running your own business. And sure, if the dynamics come together in a way that makes that happen, great. But there's nothing wrong in learning how to build a business on someone else's dime. And so I was at Macy's for probably around six years, six or seven years before I wanted to get much more of an analytical kind of data-driven perspective to how I was creating marketing strategy. And that was the impetus behind going to business school. So went to business school at Kellogg School of Management out at Northwestern University and met these people called management consultants. And I had never heard of Bain, McKinsey, BCG, Deloitte, you know, I just knew these are my fellow classmates were like really smart and they had awesome PowerPoint presentations. So I was like, you know what? I should do this management consulting thing. So after business school, I joined the Monitor Group, which was a boutique consultancy started from a Harvard professor, Michael Porter, And it was eventually bought by Deloitte. But what was really interesting about the Monitor Group was that they had a marketing practice where you could solely focus on some of the marketing issues that their clients were facing. 
And there is where I actually got to work on a beauty brand, got to work on some healthcare companies as well as some pro bono work, but also helped me really dig into the idea of problem solving. And what are some of the factors that you need to understand in order to unlock those problems? And so the experience as a whole was amazing. Got to work again with lots of different clients. However, the work-life balance was not what I was envisioning. And so definitely wasn't a good fit for me long-term, but I definitely appreciated the exposure and the experience post-B-School. And so it was what it was, right? So I decided to go back into retail and was heading up the marketing department of a small women's apparel company when even there, the draw of entrepreneurship had begun. I majored in entrepreneurship at Kellogg. I knew I wanted to start a business. I just didn't know which one and like how that was going to happen. Before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about the skills you learned at both Macy's and at the Monitor Group that you took with you that you use today that set you up for success later. Okay, absolutely. So at Macy's, what was... (laughs) was very important at Macy's was to understand how to communicate, how to get your point across and advocate for your ideas in a room where everyone wants their idea to be heard, everyone wants their idea to be adopted, making sure that you had your information, you've got your details, you've got your numbers right, especially when you're presenting them in front of other people. I learned that very early on in my career being given that opportunity to get onto those platforms and connect with the CEO and the digital merchandise managers of the company. At the Monitor Group, the thing about consulting is you learn, you can figure anything out. It does not matter what the problem is, you can figure it out. There is some way, shape, or form. There is some angle. There is some piece of information you can extrapolate. There is another industry that you can use to serve as a proxy for where this, where the, how this decision can be made. And I definitely think that has helped me figure out problems in my business. Just knowing that it can be figured out is half the battle. You knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. So how did you end up at the intersection of beauty and technology? Yes, I was talking to my business partner. We were on vacation, both of us like ready to get rid of our jobs. <laughs> we were like over it. And what we both knew was hair. I have had hair my whole life. I have done all types of things with it. And I also went natural back in college. So I had seen this entire natural hair movement explode in front of my eyes. This was before Facebook, before MySpace and Friendster. I had, you know, decided to go natural. So we said we should open up a salon. You know, there's these frustrations with pain points and you're in the salon all day. We should do that. And then I also saw these trends happening, right? So we look at Uber, you push a button, a car comes to you. You have Fresh Direct, you push a button, your groceries come to you. There was a company called Handy, you push a button and a maid or a cleaner comes to you. So there were these on-demand technologies that were already happening, but they weren't being applied to the pain points that were important to me. And so we said, how could we press a button and a stylist come to you? And that was the idea behind creating the first on-demand, on-location beauty booking app for women with natural hair. So that was the first product that we had with Interest Noir back in 2014. It was exciting to build that business. We started off in Philadelphia, actually, as a test market, expanded to New York, D.C. We were in Dallas, Los Angeles. And what we found was that the clients still had questions. It's like you get your hair done and then 
you still are like, okay, well, now what? Like, well, what products do I use to maintain it? And I'm in the beauty supply store. And what, what kind of hair should I get for the next one? And, you know, so I found myself discovering that there was yet again, a whole different pain point that allowed for real technology that could absolutely solve this problem. It's like, okay, I know problems can be solved. Technology and the use of machine learning and AI can absolutely help women that have multiple pieces of data, right? The, the data is not only your hair type, but the hairstyle, your pattern, the hair texture, where you live. Are you super busy? Do you have time? Like, do you have budget requirements? Like all of these variables can be put into a model that can spit out a better way of finding the right products and services, as opposed to the trial and error of just like hoping for the best. It's, can we actually have a more data-driven way of doing that. And that was the reason why we pivoted to our new model of a beauty coach. Essentially, it's a virtual beauty coach that takes the trial and error out of products and services by matching your unique profile to a beauty regimen designed by experts. I want to get into a little bit of how that works. So I'm a new customer and I come on your app. What do I have to do? Do I fill out a profile? Do I upload a picture? What's the process? The first step is filling out our quiz. So you do go to the site and you fill out a quiz and we ask you a bunch of different questions from literally your zip code. So we know where you live. The weather definitely dictates a lot of beauty recommendations, depending on if it's dry, if it's raining, if it's humid. Uh, We ask about your hair texture. We also ask what hairstyle that you're in. You know, the hairstyle is going to influence the type of regimen that we recommend. And then also as your hairstyle changes, the kind of information that you need actually changes. So we start off with, again, getting this quiz. And then the more information you give us, the smarter the coach gets over time. You'll start off with that first couple of weeks of data, and then we'll start to ask you questions. And then from there, as you answer those questions, uh, we're able to train the model on the back end to give you the right information. That's really interesting. And I like that the model adjusts to you because as a Black woman, we don't necessarily keep our hair the same at all times. So this is something that can adapt to the way that we want to wear our hair at any given moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll ask you, hey, are you still in this hairstyle? Yes or no? And then if you say no, we'll say, oh, what style are you in now? So we need to but you have to respond, right? Like that's also why we use an SMS platform, a text message platform in order to deliver this information. So you get a text message every other day that gives you your healthy hair tip. And so you'll get a text message a couple of weeks in with those questions. Hey, are you still in that hairstyle? Reply yes or no. And when you reply yes, we'll say, okay, great. And we'll keep giving you the same information. If you reply no, then we'll say, oh, okay. What style are you in now? Reply one for braids, two for cornrows, three for crochet, four for weave, five for blowout, six for so on and so forth. You picked up some skills at Macy's at the Monitor Group, but what skill do you need now? What is the unsung skill that you need to succeed as a beauty entrepreneur? Every entrepreneur has to learn how to sell. You are constantly selling to clients. You're selling to investors. You're selling to talent that you want to have join your team. You're selling to yourself to keep yourself motivated. I mean, this is a very critical skill 
it was not taught in business school. And literally, you know, I just went, I went to business school 10 years ago. I took one selling class, didn't realize how important it would be. And I would say it's a skill you're constantly honing and you're practicing on multiple levels, doing it in an authentic way so that it doesn't come off as either desperate or like pushy or aggressive. But when you meaningfully have value, other people want that value. And so it's about finding that connection and maximizing that value for both parties. Let's talk a little bit about Black Women Talk Tech. What was the impetus for starting that? This was in 2017. I had been starting to work on Trust Noir. We had gotten a little bit of investment. We had gone through a few accelerators and it was just hard. (laughs) You know, I did not even know what I didn't know with the tech industry. I had no idea what a cap table was. What is a technical stack? Why do I need to understand the differences between codes and languages? Why are some more flexible than others? These things actually matter because when you build an entire site and spend all this money only to realize that it cannot be used, it is painful. I have been there as well. And so I had run into my other two co-founders, Lauren Washington and Associate Godaro, at various investor events. And oftentimes we're like the only chocolate chips in the room. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh, look, another Black person. <laughs> and you're so excited. <laughs> you're like running over to just kind of like stand in the vicinity and be like, Hey, girl, hey, you know? And so we finally started to actually, we sat down, like Asosa and I sat down during like a lunch of one of these conferences and our stories were so similar. You know, the challenges we were having in raising money, the challenges in finding the right technical talent. Mind you, a lot of Eastern European developers are not interested in working on a Black women's beauty tech startup. We realized that we've still had these amazing ideas and these amazing startups that had billion dollar markets attached to them. And so it's not that our ideas or our startups weren't as valid, they just weren't getting resourced in the same way. And so Black Women Talk Tech is literally focused to resource the next billion dollar startup, which we believe will come from a woman of color. The next Intel, the next Uber, the next Microsoft will come from a woman of color. That's what we believe. I believe that too. And I think that technology, you know, something very close to my heart, and I especially follow how the tech and beauty industry look at the issues that Black women have Mm -hmm. and women of color have. And in this age, like we're recording this during, you know, the two pandemic, the systematic Mm -hmm. racism pandemic, it's been ongoing our whole lives and hundreds of years before. And the COVID pandemic, companies are quote unquote stepping up, right? Quote unquote. Quote unquote. I have to say quote unquote, because there's a lot of performative allyship going on. A lot of lists being circulated, a lot of groups being formed. Oh, yes. However, at the end of the day, when we talk about technology companies, the people who are creating it do not consider us. And a lot of the programs that they're creating, a lot of the new products they're creating, and it's inherent in beauty. And the beauty industry says they want to step up, but I have yet to see a product, even a try into that works well for us. I wholeheartedly agree, Corinne. I think that's why we've seen so many women entrepreneurs in beauty, because there is such a gap, because you've got larger companies that don't have the R&D, they aren't dedicating the amount of R&D that's necessary to truly develop product lines. I mean, I definitely think there's an R&D and manufacturing component of this that has yet to be tapped even on on the the Black women entrepreneur side. 
We don't have access to supply chain. We don't have access to being vertically integrated. We still have to rely on other pieces of the puzzle in order to even cobble together the few products that we have right now. So from a technology perspective, there's absolutely a lot of lip service. The jury is out in terms of seeing who is really going to put their money where their mouth is. The conversations have started. We're in a time where we have to continue to push. I feel as if almost we're just getting started. I feel like the protests were the first phase. This is going to have to be a phased approach of constant pressure in order for us to truly see change. We have to address the racial capitalism that's connected to this, that there are infrastructures, financial and economic infrastructures that have to be changed that we aren't even remotely addressing right now. <laughs> All hey, people that are doing- phrase right there, racial capitalism is like yes. Yes. the elephant yes. in the room. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. <laughs> yes, it is. This literally comes down to how banks lend money. How do banks give access to loans in an equal manner for Black entrepreneurs as they would any other entrepreneur, right? If you cannot grow and you cannot scale without money, then what kind of conversations are we having here? And even from a beauty perspective, you've got cosmetologists and natural hair practitioners that still have to get cosmetology licenses. And the only reason why they have to get cosmetology licenses is because of whatever rules that are set up from state to state. Mind you, they'll never touch chemical relaxers. They'll never work with clients that ever need this information, but yet you have to do it. And this is like, what, hundreds of hours of work and thousands of dollars that are connected to this? This is just, it's a racket, literally a racket. And so there's countless examples of how we need to attack the system. And it has to start industry by industry. Everything doesn't apply to everyone. I love the commitment. I love the 15% you know, merchandise assortment push that we're seeing. I love those challenges. Let's see where it goes. I think that we're starting and we have to see where it goes and how we can continue to apply pressure. You know, I hear about boycotts here and boy. Montgomery boycott was one industry, transportation, shut it all down in one place and then see how change the ripple effect from that. We can't decide one day we're going to do one thing. We're going to do one brand like that's, you know, we, we have to be strategic about this. Yes, yes. I couldn't agree more. What I'm seeing is people looking to create solutions are not talking to one another. So there is some kind of duplication and solution-driven offerings. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. We talk about brands that sell to larger conglomerates. And oftentimes that happens because they can't scale because they don't have the capital. So there's this vicious circle that we're not talking about. That yes. we don't have money to start. We right. don't have money to scale. And then, so what do we do if we start? We kind of like, do you, we decide to stay small? If we have bigger ambitions, who do we get capital from? And then what are what the if- expectations of the people that are giving us capital that may force us to sell? 
Yes. One thing I'm actually excited about is some of the alternative financing products that are coming onto the market. So revenue-based and invoice-based financing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if you can establish yourself to get to a point where you are generating revenue and you can lend against those revenue projections, that allows you, first of all, non-dilutive money, right? So you don't have to give away a piece of your business in order to get money. And you can guarantee it because you already see, unless, of course, clearly in light of COVID, you know, that is a act of God and all that, well, act of Trump. But I love that we are seeing, and a lot, I definitely want to get the word out that there are some of these newer forms of financing that Black women are actually uniquely positioned for. Because if we don't do anything else, we will sell some curl cream, (laughs) you know, (laughs) at a, you know, natural hair show. And yet that is enough when you have established business and you have established traction. Now, starting is different than scaling. And then you mentioned two separate phases. There's resources for early stage and for just getting started. And then the resources needing to scale are totally different. I would like to see more focus on those that are scaling because it already shows that you were scrappy enough to at least get to the point that you're scaling, right? Like you already have some traction. Let's put some fuel on the fire to get you to where you need to go. Because one thing that technology does do at the series A level or at the level where you're generating, you know, more significant revenue, the bias starts to fall away because it's hard for everyone to get to series A level, whether you're black, white, Indian, Asian, whomever, it's hard period, but you got to get there. That's the most frustrating challenge is when you are making money and you are scaling and you are generating revenue and still can't make that jump. You know, how do you get from a hundred thousand in revenue to a million revenue? How do you get from 5 million in revenue to 10 million in revenue? That's where it's more than just money. It's talent. It's access to the right technology platforms. It's access to commercial partners. And it's access to the right mentors and people that are opening the right doors for you. That has nothing to do with checks. Right. And that's deep. And I think that this whole discussion is important because when we think about entrepreneurship, we don't always think about all of the levels of what you need. And when you talk about technology in particular, the knowledge that you need to acquire in order to build the right product, even if you're not building it yourself, is really, really important. So how do you identify top talent, not only to add to your team, but to work with? You have to get somebody to build your product. Yes. How do you identify that person? Corinne, it is hard. Like I've had so much failure in this arena. I've gone through more CTOs than I can count. And I think that for me, looking back on it, having a good technical advisor that can help you. If you are a non-technical founder, If you can't tell the difference between Python and Ruby on Rails, you need someone with you, unless they are a family member. And even then, you know, I might scratch my head. So I definitely think partnering with someone that has some engineering, computer science background, because what ends up happening is you are not asking the right questions when you're trying to find the technical talent that you need. A technical advisor is going to help you think through What are the best platforms? What is the best stack for the kind of business you're creating, right? If you're doing e-commerce, go on on Shopify and Square and knock yourself out. There's enough businesses out here that those companies exist because it's been proven over and over and over again that if you have this kind of business model, they've got a suite of services that's going to support you. 
if you're in technology, you're building something that's never been done before. Like there had never been an Uber before Uber. So they were building something from scratch. They had a team of hundreds of engineers working through how to create not only just the on-demand technology, but the infrastructure of all the drivers, all of the GPS systems that are needed, the, the security, it can be overwhelming. And that's why you need help. The idea of doing it on your own, don't do it. <laughs> just, I want to be very real with you on this podcast. <laughs> please, please, please. Uh, the, the short, the long and short of it is finding the right talent. Always go with your gut, but also be smart. Find the people that can help you speak the language in order to get what you need. And then layer on your culture, layer on understanding your target customer and your segments. All of those things are a layer up to the actual ability to do the job. Yeah, that's so critically important. And when you say you fail so many times, it's kind of like this whole lean startup methodology where it's like, fail fast kind of thing. I don't care. But still, when you make a mistake, it's really challenging to keep pushing. Yes. But this yes. is the nature of the beast almost, that yes, you is. have to figure out what doesn't work so that you can find out what does. Yes. The goal is to fail fast, but it's also to fail without spending too much money. Yes. <laughs> and that's why it's great to create your minimum viable product, right? Create your MVPs, mm-hmm. create your small focus groups, You know, do some testing, do some things that you can validate the product market fit, right? Validate that you actually have a product that people want and that they are willing to pay for. Validate that in the least amount of money that you can. And then you can actually say, okay, this idea works. Now I'm willing to put the money and the resources behind it to make it scalable. This is the last question for this section. You recently pivoted, but when did you know it was time to pivot? We knew it was time to pivot when we saw this new opportunity being bigger than the one we were currently doing. For our particular business, we were constrained by geography. So if someone were to reach out to me in Kalamazoo, Michigan, I cannot help them because I did not have a team of stylists that could come to your house in Kalamazoo, Michigan. If you reached out to me from Miami or from Las Vegas, it was the nature of having some constraints that made us look at like, Building a two-sided marketplace is really hard. Like literally building an Uber, mm-hmm. right? Where you've got consumers and you've got drivers and you're building both of those marketplaces at the same time, is really hard. And yet we still saw that one side of the market, i.e. the consumers, still had a need that could be filled through technology and that we had the capabilities to do that because we already had started to build those capabilities. So that was really when we knew that it was time to pivot because we still saw that we had all the bits and pieces. We just need to reconfigure them. I guess when you're building, you're constantly looking at your market and the pain points within the market. Not You don't stop once you identify one pain point. You're absolutely right. My mission on my wall is how do we give Black women back some time? Like Excellent. reclaiming my time. How do I give a Black woman like an extra five minutes back to her day? It's already packed. Can I give her five minutes so she doesn't have to worry about how her hair looks? Can I do that? I think that our discussion, if you have an interest in technology or entrepreneurship, <laughs> this has been really info-packed because a lot of people just think, well, I'm just going to make a product and I'm, or they think they should build all of that and you know, they discount an MVP and you really can't. And no. it, you're spending money that you just 
flushing down the toilet, basically. So really heed Regina's advice because she knows of what she speaks. Seriously, folks. <laughs> I've been there. I've been there, ladies and gents. I've been there. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What's the first beauty product you ever purchased or tried? I'd have to say good old wet and wild makeup. (laughs) (laughs) As a teenager, that's all you can afford. So you buy like every lipstick and eyeliner and blush. What's the latest beauty product you tried? I love these new vitamin C serums. Mm -hmm. They make my skin feel like even and fresh and there's this Korean beauty site and I was a little reluctant I will say like hey beauty I don't know if it's really gonna work for me and like how is that really working but I said you know what I'll try this vitamin c serum and it was amazing and I was like oh okay maybe I should do a little bit more so I mixed it with some bio oil and mm-hmm. put it on my skin what's the best beauty advice you either live by or leave alone so the best beauty advice that I live by is drinking water. I'm always drinking like lots of water because it's great for your skin, it's great for your hair. Like a stylist, especially from a hair perspective, a stylist can only do but so much. Like they cannot make magic happen with your hair. You have to start with a baseline level of moisture and elasticity in order for them to create like the the styles that you want. So help them help you. Uh, I guess all the other one I will say, don't leave alone moisture. For your hair like please deep condition ladies deep condition deep condition deep condition please do the hot oil treatments please 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 do them do them more in the winter time more than you think you need to do that and you will see a difference in split ends and brittle hair who gave you the best career advice and what was it i will never forget this we were in an accelerator in philadelphia and our mentor was tough let's just put it that way he was tough And he told me, Regina, you need to understand the difference between opportunities and distractions. That has stuck with me because you're running around like, oh my God, I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to have this. It's going to be great. And did it actually move the needle on your business? Yes or no? Do the things that are going to move the needle on your business. You're going to get a ton of inbound. I want to partner on this. I want to collaborate on that. That is great and spectacular. Just make sure it's an actual real opportunity versus a distraction from the business that you need to be focused on. And that has definitely stuck with me. It's been really helpful when there is so many different things going on and just kind of coming back to that and saying, if we're focused on user acquisition right now, we should be doing all the things that are focused on user acquisition. If it is not focused on user acquisition, we should not be doing it right now. I've heard it before, but the way that he, he said it. I was like, take it in, I'll write it down, and probably put it on the wall. <laughs> put it on yes. the wall. Opportunity or distraction. You're a distraction. I can't talk to you. Uh, a mentor this... or mentee? Um, both, definitely. I'm definitely a mentee and I'm always open to helping mentor wherever I can. What's the best interview prep tip that you can offer somebody? Okay, so when you're being interviewed, being prepared in terms of like just knowing what you're being interviewed about, who is the person that's interviewing you, you know, having a level of understanding so that you can have a point of view and offer up, you know, some key insights and not feel off guard. 
I would also recommend trying to be available maybe like 10 minutes before the interview so that you're not like rushing from meeting to meeting and being able to say, okay, I'm getting myself prepared to have a conversation. And you want to give yourself some time to do that. Final question. What makes a candidate, you know, somebody you're going to work with memorable to you? I think that you could be memorable in a good way and you can be memorable in a bad way. So let's talk um, good way. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think that there are some things that you should be thinking of in terms of being memorable in a good way is almost similar to what I was just mentioning. Doing your research on the company, having a point of view on how you can add value is always impressive. If someone's already looked at my social media Um, They've looked at my LinkedIn, they've looked at the company LinkedIn, and they're like, you know what, if I was here, I would do this and I would change that. They have no idea what we're working on. And if it's aligned with what we're already thinking about, that's great. And even if it's not, it's still important to see that they are coming to the table with a point of view and also having a level of ownership. If I were to come, this is what I would do. You're already demonstrating that you have a sense of accountability and you want to actually take a project and run with it. That's always something that I like to see in all the talent. And it can be from interns to marketing managers. It doesn't matter. You should feel a sense of ownership. This has been a phenomenal discussion, a phenomenal conversation about so many different topics. But I think that anyone listening who has an interest in changing careers following entrepreneurship, building a business, and even changing their business model can learn a lot from this discussion. So I can't thank you enough, Regina, for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for for having me. I enjoyed it. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top, and the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 